0: Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on And let's get on with this week's episode. Hi there, welcome to this week's show. And this week, Lee and I were talking with... Dr. John Andrews, all about theology. Now, before we get into that, just want to let you know that if your church is thinking about making changes in terms of it, what it does, maybe your church is unhealthy, and, or maybe it's just not uh, you know, reaching what you want to reach, reaching who you want to reach, then uh, what we are offering now is that if you pre-book a facilitation slot for 2021, we will give you a uh, 20% discount, and you can do that today. You just got to go to our website, go to www.thinkingchurch, and if you uh, go to our buy, if you click buy now, it will take you through to our, our booking page, and there you can use the code prebook 2021. And there, if you book a slot for 2021, we will give you twenty percent off the the price. And we want it to be that so, so that you have got something to look forward to in 2021, making some changes. Maybe you're thinking through your mission statement, your values, all these kind of things, we can help you out with all of that. Maybe you're thinking through online church. or or your theology, which is what we'll be talking about uh, in today's show. So uh, go to our website and uh, you can use that code PREBOOK2021 and that will give you 20% off. Okay, so this week uh, Lee and I were talking with Dr. John Andrews. This was recorded near the beginning of lockdown and uh, we wanted to ask about the process behind theology. I think when it comes to theology, often I think process will trump product because your process determines your product so you have to really have a good thought process around how you're thinking through the theological statements you know your statement of faith all those kind of things how you land on those things your process is really really important so Dr John Andrews is uh, an expert in that he's um, a brilliant bible teacher I know you'll love him so without further ado this is mine and Lee's conversation with Dr John Andrews John, we had a recent webinar uh, with someone called Nick Sharalambus, who's a discipleship pastor in over in the States, and, and we were spe- speaking about gauging spiritual growth and uh, linking that to a survey that was done where it suggests that Bible engagement is the key driver to spiritual growth. However, it appears that Bible literacy is low. Uh, many churches are focusing more on leadership development rather than maybe Bible literacy, what can we start doing to correct that lack of Bible literacy? Do you think?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, and I think um, if I could reflect with you anecdotally, I, I think uh, my experience reflects um, a, a dangerous trend. Uh, away from uh, regular engagement with the Bible. So my my um, experience, for example, in Bible college, I, I would sometimes ask first-year students. So to give you a little example, my, my last class that I taught uh, a few years ago, three, four years ago, I asked I asked this question every year, how many of you, before we get into the Gospel of Luke, how many of you have read the Bible the whole way through, all 66 books at some point? And, um, Of a class of 28, six people had done that. And then I asked, how many people have read the New Testament part of the Bible? And not including the six, of course, uh, another nine hands went up. So I was faced with the challenge, and and this happened fairly consistently, uh, with the challenge of trying to teach the Gospel of Luke to a class that over half of which didn't really have a sense of the big ideas, the big picture, the nuances, the heart pulse of the text they were picking up. Because to understand, for example, the Gospel of Luke, you've, you've got to have a sense of other things are going on in the text that Luke is both feeding off and feeding into. And therefore, if people don't have that, what we might call in this context, a Bible literacy, then it becomes very hard or harder to connect some of those crucial ideas to the text. And so a big picture understanding of the Bible is absolutely crucial. And that's why I would encourage followers of Jesus to engage with the Bible every day. So I've been a Christian since I was eight. I'm 53 and I still have a Bible reading plan. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible slower than I've ever read it, but I am reading it with as much intentionality today. I've studied the Bible all my adult life and I still woke up this morning and I knew exactly which bits of the Bible I was going to be reading today. So whether I feel like it or not, I do it. Whether I want to or not, I do it. Um, Whether I'm in the bits I like or not, I do it. (laughs) Because for me, it's saturating my spirit with the text is the key to then helping me understand the heart of God. Uh, And of course, for us, the Bible is the uh, written record of who God is, and what God wants to do in our world through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. So, not engaging with the text um, will be, in the long term, a crippling experience for us. And and maybe something like COVID will be forcing people back to engagement and away from relying on the brilliant preacher or the brilliant pastor who just happens to be at the front of their church every week. So so, so maybe, maybe that is something that uh, churches can think about and encourage people into Bible reading plans, uh, as well as celebrating the Bible within our churches. Yeah, did you think that's part of um,
2: what happened is a lot of churches, when they concentrate maybe more on the work of the church and the projects that we've had this focus more towards leadership development or even discipleship in the way of the work is that kind of, uh, and and also maybe sometimes an easier thing to approach with new Christians about doing rather yeah. than that becoming aspect? Because, yeah. You know, uh,
1: yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with you. I think in the last 30 years, uh, I mean, in my ministry lifetime, I've seen an explosion in organizational development, um, leadership development, mm. uh, a genre of material. I mean, you, you guys, this is your world, and it's just you can't keep up with the books uh, that are coming out on this stuff, both Christian and secular. So it's become the sort of sexy topic. Uh, the, the danger is with that, that if we're not careful, we, we drive an organizational conversation that doesn't have a theological heartbeat to it and framework. Yeah. And all the time, we must be asking, why are we doing what we're doing? Uh, And also, um, the the engine room of the Christian community is not the brilliance of the organization, but it is, uh, referring back to the book of Acts, it is the apostles' teaching. It's fellowship, it's prayer, it's breaking bread together. It's actually much more fundamental, essential elements, which um, uh, the Bible will be a profound guide to us in all of those things and my my concern is uh to remind the church is that we're not just leaders we're spiritual leaders we're, we're not just uh organizational architects we are also shepherds so whatever mm. whatever our label we are our, our priority is people and also we're not just leaders we're spiritual leaders so so we lead uh not just out of our gift but we must lead out of our spirituality and the word of God, the presence of God, worship, the power of the spirit, they are essential elements to the framing and shaping of that spirituality. Yeah, brilliant.
2: Yeah, yeah and I think t- touching on there as well, you said about the the weight of books that come out, and even though there's some stuff that never really changes, there still seems to be a new book on a lot of these subjects. We, we're we picking up, so we we use an example of um, uh, the kind of the hero's journey as a, as a popular model about how people... Uh, process and do things within life and for those of you that may not have come across it it's this idea that uh, a a person at a point will have there's like an inciting incident or something happens and then there's this uh, descent and unraveling of things and then they learn something at like the kind of like the bottom of this circle and then they come back on the ascent with new knowledge and this kind of like new learning and uh, Chris and I were talking earlier uh, prior to the webinar about this actually we need to stop thinking this is a one-off thing as a a life cycle across a whole lifetime but uh, a daily thing that we need in place like you say like a bible plan will introduce us to the same text periodically but that actually we need that still need to go on that descent and unknowing to learn something new to come back with new knowledge and to keep it fresh and alive what do you think of um ways to to do that to make that more Accessible to us um, as we do that within the disciplines of um, our reading.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a great point, and I, I would just uh, just to make a comment before before reflecting with you. I think uh, in the West we tend to think quite uh, in a quite a linear model when it comes to our discipleship. Mm-hmm. So we start at a point and we move to somewhere else, and it in our brains it's often it's going along a line we're progressing, whereas. A Bible worldview is much more cyclical, so it's not a straight line. You learn by cycles, you learn by repetition, you learn by returning to the same ideas over and over and over again. So if we look at our, if we look at our Jewish roots, the Jewish roots of the church, um, the, the Jewish world, the Old Testament, is rooted in massive cyclical events. It's big ideas that the nation were encouraged to keep coming back to. So they would keep coming back to the Day of Atonement. They would keep coming back to uh, uh, the, the, the Tabernacles. They would keep coming back to Pentecost. They, they would come back to these ideas. These are, these are my words. But they would in coming back, they would come back with fresh eyes. They would come back with a fresh understanding. And of course, it's also to remember that lots of their learning was done in the context of community. So they learned as community, they learned as groups, they learned as a nation, or at least in theory, that was the case. Rather than leaving the learning of all of this to an individual passion, the community had this relentless, uh, engaging cycle of learning that they kept coming back To the big ideas and of course if we come back to big ideas in a year's time hopefully we've grown and suddenly we're looking at that same idea but we're looking at it differently we're looking at the grace of god but we're seeing it differently we're looking at calvary but seeing it differently we're looking at the Resurrection, and on and on it goes and that has been my experience i have seen in my own world cyclical growth that is both fueled by my individual passion but also, I've been rooted into a community setting. And I think it's, it's trying to encourage um, community learning together, community reading of the Bible together. I mean, I, I, I get to travel all over the UK, and uh, rarely do I hear the Bible read in a church service unless I read it before my sermon. So, so we're, we're even, the, the idea of just even the public reading of the Bible because it's the Bible. Even that idea is losing a little bit of traction. So we may want to devolve that into our small groups, into our discipleship groups, but that's not underestimate the power of simply reading the text together, let alone studying it and reflecting. Uh, and, And if we can learn to do that together in our discipleship groups and training groups and not cut away biblical learning and theology from leadership development, then I think that will help us Mm. uh, find some equilibrium on it.
0: I think picking up on that thing of community being a foundational principle for reading the text, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's in the New Testament talking about, you know, not neglecting the, the public reading of Scripture. Um, I wanted to speak up with you about um, what do you think are the other foundational principles when we're looking at interpreting, interpreting Scripture? What are other, you know, if you were to give some other uh, foundational principles, what would you say that they were? Uh,
1: well, I think it's really important, first of all, um, to celebrate theology um so so before we get into some principles let me just say this this is passionate for me the first statement of the bible the very first sentence seven word sentence in hebrew um is a massive theological statement in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so it's it's 10 words in english but in hebrew it's seven words that idea of completeness in that opening sentence and um, when we approach Genesis 1-1 from a sort of a Western, scientifically-driven rationale, we often ask questions of Genesis 1 like, what happened and how did it happen? So we're, we're more interested often in the science of Genesis 1 than anything else, and I, that's exactly the wrong starting point. So I think the opening statement of the Bible begs us to ask two massive questions. Who is God and why did he make the heavens and the earth? So, so you're introduced to a theological gateway right there. It's begging you to ask the question before you read anything else or as you start to read this text, who is this God and why? If he's the all-existent, eternal, uh, you know, all-powerful God, why does he make the heavens and the earth when he's self-sufficient? and it 's right there and then we are being pulled into a theological journey so so over the years i 've met beautiful Christians who say, well we don 't really need theology, we don 't really need do- doctrine, we just need the holy spirit and and I, I I hear their their gorgeous hearts, but this is pure nonsense i mean this is this is unadulterated nonsense because it it takes us completely in the wrong direction. Jesus was full of the Word, in fact, he was the Word and he was also full of the Spirit. So, so right at the beginning, and then if you mirror that to John's gospel, John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, almost a mirror uh, representation of Genesis 1. And what John is saying is exactly the same thing. Who is the Word, and why did he come? So we don't get the life of Jesus and we don't get the New Testament unless we ask who's the word and why did he come? We won't get the Bible unless we ask who is God and why did he make the universe? So, so actually, theology frames the beginning of the gospel and theology frames the beginning of the biblical text. And if we can celebrate that and not see it as some sort of burden or some sort of domain of an intellect sitting in a library, and and we recognize that theology is the domain of every Christian, that theology in its purest form is the study of God, God's words, God's passion, God's Mm. heart, and God's purposes, then that will absolutely help us to do that. And, And in terms of some practicality, it's thinking about when we come to study the Bible, it's thinking about its context. What is the context in which, certain statements are being made. So I passionately believe that in order to understand the Bible in the context in which I'm reading it, I must understand it in the context in which it's read. Or what I end up doing is applying my world back to that world. When what I need to do is go back to that world and bring that world into my world. So if I want to understand Paul's words in the 21st century, I have to understand Paul in the 1st century. If I want to understand Moses as he speaks uh, to the children of Israel, I must understand Moses as he spoke it and then apply it forward. And that is that is so important. I think culture is really important and we're blessed today with massive cultural research um, that that theologians 100 years ago would have given their eye teeth for. And we've got Hmm. cultural insights today which are revolutionizing, revolutionizing our understanding of the text. And I think one of the things we're doing, uh, and please don't hear what I'm not saying here, one of the things we're doing is celebrating and being comfortable with the Jewishness of the text, the Jewishness of Jesus, the Jewishness of Paul, understanding the Jewish rootedness of our Christian faith, and the fact that Uh, Christianity in its purest form could not exist without the rootedness of its Jewish origins. And once we understand that, then we can start to read the text differently uh, and see some of the cultural power. Two, two, Two other things to say, Chris, and I'll pause. I know I'm saying a lot, but just two things. Remember, often we have to interpret the Bible in the context of covenant. So a big mistake. So I've heard some weird stuff about COVID going on and, and god 's judgment on the world, and, and I, I get all of that we can We can talk about that in another time, but but often what we do is we look at god 's language to a covenant people, a people in agreement with him, and then we apply those words to people not in covenant with him, and that 's a terrible mistake. So, so much of, we have to understand that much of the words of God in the Old Testament are to a group of people he's in relationship with. And therefore, there's a standard on a heart that he wants them to get. That idea carries exactly into the New Testament, where Paul, Peter, John, James, they are writing to a group of people who are in agreement with God. And therefore, we must understand those words first in agreement before we dare apply those words to people who are not in agreement with God. And that's a basic sort of idea in theology. And then the last one, and I'm pretty passionate about this, um, we often interpret the Bible from an individual perspective. Often we put I in instead of we, and we read it that God is speaking to me. So I'm, I'm in the book of Isaiah as part of my devotions. And there are some beautiful promises, but I have to understand before I apply the principle of that promise to my life, that promise was first of all given to a nation, to a covenant mm. people, and it was actually given to a, a they, it was given to a we, it was given to an us, it wasn't just given to me. And if I can keep that in my world context, culture, covenant, and community. They will help guide theological understanding on some stuff. And, and, and I think that just, just might, because I, I, I'm thinking about my 19-year-old daughter as well as a Bible student. You know, I'm thinking about a range of people who will be engaging with the Bible. And those ideas will form sort of um, boundary markers that just keep hemming us in and prevent us from maybe getting a little bit weird on the text.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think the um, it's, it's so interesting that the context of something can start to uh, shape how we think about it and all, or kind of deconstruct previous ideas that we had about it. One particular passage I remember was uh, Jesus talking about binding and loosing,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: I always thought was to do with um, you know uh, a spiritual powers thing, but in its Jewish context, it's talking about what you allow and what you what you don't allow and that for me was like whoa, wow that's quite. but yeah. then that's when you start to follow that that trail you start to go okay well if if jesus says what's found in heaven and we are bound on earth is bound in heaven and what's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven does that mean that we can make up our our own rules and and then so the the, the fluid nature of theology starts to come into question or is it is it a fluid thing is it a static thing how should we think about? Uh, the ongoing nature of theology in light of the context that we're in is it- is it is theology always something that how we interpret it is it always static or is it something that that's fluid
1: mm. um I, I think it's i think it's both so I think there are some ideas that are uh secure uh to use your language uh static uh but i, I don't like that word so much because it sounds stuck. Um, but I, I, I would prefer to think of it secure in that certain ideas revealed to us about God himself, about Jesus, about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, for example, about his passion around covenant and community and saving the world. I think those ideas are uh, relentlessly consistent. What you will often get in those ideas is a development of application rather than um, a shifting of the idea. So, so what you've got in the Bible is, is often um, a, a, a progressional revelation of God. So we, we see God revealed in Genesis as Elohim. And yet by, as we move into chapter four, he moves from Elohim to uh, Adonai or, or Yahweh. So we, we see him progress from the God of creation to the God of agreement and covenant and relationship. So, so there's a progressional element that we see in the Bible where we're learning about the Lord stage by stage. And that is absolutely there. And I think the Lord reveals himself in stages because that that helps us with our own growth and development. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there are certain ideas that can develop by way of uh, cultural and local application to those ideas. But what must guide us is the fixed principle within it. So there are some ideas about God which don't change. Um, he remains the same on key areas, but then how we understand how that may be applied into different parts of our world and how they may understand that aspect of his nature, that, that's where the skill of the church in communicating. Uh, to the world around it. So the early church had this problem where they, they came out of a Jewish worldview that had strong uh, ideas about what God looked like. And then they were moving into a Gentile context where some of the ideas about God were weird and wonderful. So they had to bring ideas of who God was to a very fluid, changing, cosmopolitan and dynamic context and the only way you're able to do that is because you're guided by some fixed ideas, some fixed principles, certain things which look different in application, but remain the same in fundamental principle and idea. And I think that's where the tension lies. And that's where we've yeah. got to try and help each other to manage that stuff, because that, be, that can be a real tension that we have to manage. It never squares completely, but we can help each other manage that a little bit.
2: That's a little bit back to that, that that western view though of how we read this we need a right and a wrong often and we're not very good at holding that the tension of of um uh, of, of kind of like you know of argument and of, uh, of of answers and responses to things so yeah i can i can definitely see that coming out when it so when it comes to theology and we touched like obviously this has been been around since the early days when all this was you know first, first spoken about how much of this in, in our churches over that period have been entrusted with passing this on, with adverbal tradition, written tradition? How much of our theology is is inherited and linked to that tradition? Is there anything we can do maybe to get get beyond that? Uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have stuff that I've picked up and then I'll go to a church and I could be there a while maybe before I hear the scripture delivered in such a way for me to understand the theological aspect of it from their point of view. So where does that come into play?
1: Yeah, it's a, a great question, Lee. I mean, it was interesting this morning in my in my daily devotions, uh, I was actually reading in Mark 7, and there's an interesting moment where uh, the, the, the religious community challenged Jesus' disciples on not washing their hands ceremonially uh, to be clean. And Jesus says a very interesting thing. He says, uh, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he actually illustrates it through something called Corbin. And Corbin was the idea that a a person could offer their gifts to God, even offer themselves to God. And because of that, that trumped every other command. So in other words, Hmm. honor your father and mother. Well, I don't need to honor you anymore because I've given myself to God. And Jesus challenges that because here's what he's saying. That idea isn't really a bible idea that's your interpretation of that idea and you've formed a tradition now which is in danger of being stronger than the text itself now all humans in every generation in every label and and flavor of 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 faith and religion are prone to this and we uh, what helps us in engaging with what's, what's Bible and what's tradition is just the humility to understand we've all got bias, we are all um, influenced by something, that we see the world not as it is, but we see the world as we are, and we read the Bible often not as it is, but as we are. So, so actually, it's having the courage to understand that there are things within me, even now at 53, and I've been a follower of Jesus most of my life, even now there are things within me that will blind me from the truth of the text, because I want something from that text. I'm trying to impose into the text something I want rather than what the text is actually saying to me. So when I was in Bible college, you know, we had the the classic arguments about Calvinism and Arminianism. And we we don't want to go down that route. But but what, what I found myself doing was trying to shoehorn the text into a system instead of letting the text speak, even if it contradicted my system. Now, humans are always trying to be cleverer than they are, and they're always trying to square the circles and create nice, neat boxes on everything. And the Bible will speak to us in such ways that it challenges my traditions, challenges my culture, challenges my idea. I I, I remember growing up in a Pentecostal church and as a 13, 14-year-old starting to get into trouble because I started to ask awkward questions, one of the questions I asked was, why can't women serve communion in our church? Um, wasn't that radical, really. Um, but why can't women serve communion? To which I was told by an elder, because it's in the Bible. And I thought, oh, well, I haven't read that. So I, I went after that search, and I, and I you know, couldn't find that anywhere. Went back and respectfully challenged my elder and was in no uncertain terms told, shut up, uh, essentially. But, but there you have, we were following a tradition that came more out of brethrenism than it did out of the Bible. But we had so ingrained that idea that we were convinced it was Bible. So one of the things, we've, one, one of the things theology helps us with is, why do we do what we do? Why do we engage with that? Why do we believe that? Is that something handed down by people or is that something coming from God? Is that something that could be challenged or is that something that is beyond challenge? And and, uh, I I think if we can have the confidence to ask those sorts of uh, challenging questions, it will keep probing into our practices and ask, is there a theology behind that? Because I believe we need a theological um, driver for every praxis. Orthodoxy should drive orthopraxy. So it's my belief system should drive Mm. my behavior, but I'm, I'm trying to make sure my belief system is not driven by a skewed worldview, I'm trying to tap into a Bible worldview. And of course, that's a lifetime journey. That's something Mm. we're all on with. Just just picking up, sorry, Um, an
2: extension of that then, when we look at tradition, when you say the the, the things that creep in, that then you go, what's the basis of why we do that? At a time like this, when we've gone from physically meeting to like online meeting, I mean, we could talk maybe about, you know, a theology of online, but Actually, how many of those things that we did do are now just out the window. We're almost forced to rethink if yep. people are open to rethink. Some people won't. But it's that, you know, what does a time like this present us in terms of the, the challenge and the healthy debate around some of that? For a, I don't want it to become a theology of online, but this, you know, this refactoring of our theology as 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 churches to actually look about how we do. What's important? Like you say, you know, women serving communion, you like, just like go, that, 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 of course, why, why, why is there anything of it? Now we're all at home and nobody's actually serving and we're all in individual places. We've got to ask that question shortly for where we are.
1: Exactly. And, and, uh, I mean, I think you've, you've sort of answered the question yourself, really. I think <laughs> this, this is a great opportunity for us to ask the questions. Uh, are the things that we thought were really important? Are they mm-hmm. as important as we thought? Um, the things we're putting serious energy into and money—are they as important? So, so uh, and, and listen, I'm not uh, uh, saying something that I, I don't want you to hear here. But I, I was talking to a leader last week in Singapore, um, a very large church there in terms of numbers. I've been to their building, magnificent building. Um, and he said to me, you know, COVID has made me reevaluate how many millions of dollars we're putting into a building. Um, now, is, is it wrong to have a building? Of course not. Uh, and should we have buildings? Absolutely, it's it's fine. But but the point is, something as extreme as this makes us ask, hold on a minute, why would why was that so important, or or is that important? Or we realize, my goodness, that is more important. Than I thought it was, and whatever life looks like in terms of how we use technology going forward, I think it's an opportunity for us to ask some of the driver questions, and 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 maybe can, can I just say this carefully because uh, you know I, I know what it's like to lead churches. Maybe just maybe, uh, COVID shows us that some of our drivers are less to do with biblical theology. And more to do with other issues that we've bought into and we don't even know why. So I, I remember being in a in a church service, um, completely darkened room. I couldn't, I couldn't even see my Bible uh, actually. Now I've no I have no problem with darkened rooms, but I said to the pastor afterwards, I said, Why do you do that? And he couldn't tell me. And I said, And that's the problem, right? It's not, should I have a dark room, a light room, should I have lights or smoke machine? Okay, forget all of that for a minute the question I was trying to ask was, why do you have your room? To, if you don't have a theological rationale that explains your behavior in fundamentally shaping the church that you are leading, then you're in a very precarious position because then you're, you're, you're subject to trends and ideas rather than thinking just because we can doesn't mean we should. So why should we why should we do something? Or why should we not do something? And I think a moment like this really does help us to re-crystallize and refocus. We've
0: been used to saying, the Bible says so on so many of our theological questions, and I think that doesn't hold weight anymore. And even now, we're even struggling to, you know, like in the example you give, we're even struggling to give a theological rationale for some of the practices that we do, some of the beliefs that we sometimes maybe even hold. Um, so is that how should we start thinking about some of these these big questions maybe there's a like what's your model or how should we start constructing that theological model to be able to okay so when we're getting to why do we do this and why do we do that then we've got a really excellently thought through model of how our theology is affecting our practice our belief systems those kind of things
1: yeah i mean i i think it's coming back to um the ideas the core beliefs that are at the heart of um, the biblical revelation of God to community and that community to the world—it's—it's uh, it's amazing. For example, when you look at the New Testament, there's no one way to do church. You know, in the Book of Acts, there are three fantastic churches mentioned, and they're all different. So Jerusalem has uh, apostles and uh, elders leading it. Um, Antioch has teachers and prophets leading it, and. Ephesus has elders leading it that um, doesn't seem to be like any, what we might call a 411 pastor or a 411 gift ministry leading that. And I think that's deliberate. I, do, I don't think uh, churches, local Christian communities were meant to all look the same or sound the same because we are to reflect both the context of the culture we are in and we are to be sensitive to the needs of the culture that we are in. And therefore, it's beholding to every local Christian community to understand what are the core ideas driving community? What are the core ideas that drive mission? The core ideas that God wants here? And can we then find a creative application to those ideas? And I think that's that's a a really healthy rationale. That's a good way of approaching because then if you do come up with smoke machines and, and lights, you've got a rationale that is driving that. You've got a, an understand we are doing this because the heart yeah. of God is this and the people we're trying to reach is there and therefore, and in fact, if you look at Jesus, he messed with the heads of the religious community because he was practically doing some stuff that they wouldn't do, but he never once violated the heart of the Torah. He never once broke the law. He never once uh, removed a jot or a tittle of of, uh, Moses' teaching. What he did was radically reinterpret those ideas to applicate into his world. And, of course, the the religious community just could not cope with some of that stuff. So the riffraff and the behavior... Um, you know, they were trying to protect God and he was trying to proclaim God and it was just collision course city. And and, and yet, yet if, if you look at the Pharisees, Jesus rarely criticized their theology. In fact, in Matthew 23, he says, do as they say, but don't do what they do. So, so Jesus, in a in the, theological position, was very close to a var, Pharisaic position. I sometimes refer to Jesus as a charismatic Pharisee, really. So he's got a, a theological position, very close to a Pharisaic one. But his application mm. was the disturbing bit. His application was the thing they couldn't get their heads around. And, and actually, Jesus shows us the ability to have a strong theology, that never was compromised, but a flexibility of application which allowed him to touch his world in the most remarkable ways. you know, 100 years ago, people like William Booth were, were taking young girls in uniforms into pubs and, and, and prostitute dens and, and places that, that any respectable Christian wouldn't go. But, but they were driven by a strong, clear theology, uh, even, which sustained and helped an unusual practice. And that's why we have to have the theological conversation, not just the sexy practical conversation. Well, kids like lights, don't they? And so, so you know, well, you know, smoke machines are. I mean, don't be driven by the superficial. Be driven by the theological understanding of the heart of God. Then you can look at any sort of application and ask: Is this then going to serve? the theology going to serve the purpose, going to serve the heart of God. And if it does, if if those two can be compatible, we're on. We're on. If, if they're not compatible, we're not on. And that's it. That makes sense?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and the, the bit, I mean, the, the summary so far would be if, if we've got an explanation for what we're doing that's in service of people who have yet to encounter God, then, then then we're right. If what we're doing is building it to protect our own interests and preferences, then we're probably getting it wrong. Probably are.
1: Absolutely. So, are. Um, and 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 I think I think for me the clash of Jesus and the religious community, and he worked very hard trying to save that religious community. And and uh, you know, Luke's gospel shows us how hard he works to try and pull them around. But I think the clash was they saw themselves as guardians of God, and he saw himself as the proclaimer of God. So hmm. it, it, once religion becomes an end in itself, whether that's you know any religion and even Christian religion, then it becomes about what we want and not about what He wants. And once that happens, we, we are in deep trouble. I mean it's, it may not happen immediately, but it's sooner or later. We're going to start to hit sort of skid row on that. And we will end up building something that we like. It's good for us, but it's, it's becoming very irrelevant to the world in which we actually live. And, and that's why theology is crucial, because theology, mm. Jesus was profoundly relevant to his world and yet theologically locked and loaded. I mean, there's no messing with his theology. Mm. And yet his application was phenomenal exciting, creative, and innovative. Um, you know, reading today in Mark 7, you know, he sticks his fingers in a man's ear and uh, potentially spits in his tongue. I mean, what is that? So, so you've got stuff going on. I have no idea what's going on there, but, but Jesus is prepared to go out on that sort of a limb, but he's, he's held by an absolute rootedness in Torah. He's held in an absolute clarity about what God wants and what and what God uh, has required. Yeah.
0: And th- I mean, there's something I'd love to pick up on. Um, we're, we're short-ish of time, but I'd love to pick up on one more thing, which is that um, in our theology, I think people who are now listening to our preaching, our teaching, especially uh, with the rise of new atheism that's in the world, um, there's been a lot of questioning of theology, questioning of the answers. You know, know, I said earlier, we're so used to saying, well, you know, the Bible says so. Um, But what that's led to is I think we as a church seem to struggle with allowing people to wrestle with theological questions without. And then this word, you know, deconstruction starts to come in. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we allow people to wrestle with the the not knowing, um, to wrestle with these big theological questions without deconstructing? entirely because I think that's we might be getting to the key of, of spiritual growth there because yeah. actually um, you know it's coming back to what Lee said at the beginning of, of going from knowing to unknowing and then back into knowing but how do we do that without just losing people in that unknowing
1: yeah. No it's place? great it's a great question I, I mean uh, that, let's go back to Jesus I mean what, how, why was Jesus able to hang out with the sinners and the tax collectors? because he was profoundly secure mm. in the confidence of the truth that he understood. Um, question: I mean, new atheism, it's just a sexy term for old ideas, isn't it? I mean, it's just, like, we've come up with this stuff, it's just it's nonsense half the time, isn't it? It, it? It's not new atheism, it's just old ideas being rehashed over and over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun as far as these things are concerned. But what, of course, it does do, it, 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 if we're not careful, the church becomes a little bit lacking in confidence in its ability to hear those questions, hear those challenges, and respond appropriately to them. So, so uh, we hear people better when we are secure in what we actually believe. The less secure you are, number one, you won't want to hear the challenges because you're a bit nervous about, I'm going to be whacked here, or, or secondly, um, we end up shouting back at the world. And the minute you start shouting at the world is the first sign that, right, we've lost the argument. Yet we never have to shout. We never have to shout louder or scream louder because we're secure in the truth. Um, and and uh, we, we live in a world where actually people are looking for authenticity within spirituality. Not, not simply the right answer but the authentic answer, the lived answer, the truthful answer. And I think one of the things, I mean, one of the little phrases about Jesus that pops up over and over again in the Gospels is, it says, the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Now, what does that mean? I, I think it means this, that the teachers of this day were always quoting other teachers. But when you listen to Jesus, he's only ever quoting the text. And, and I think what the people were drawn to was, number one, this man like knows the text, but secondly, he's living this text. There's a connectedness between what he's saying and what he's doing. And that's why Jesus could mix it up with teacher of teachers, Nicodemus, top scholar, and the very next chapter in John, he could rub shoulders with a woman who was uh, in a morally questionable context and yet communicate with both. Um, and deal with both questions. He deals with hybrid theological questions from Nicodemus, and he deals with like proper cultural and racial questions from the Roman, w- woman at the well. And he manages both because he's able to engage with both out of the security of the word. We, we, we must not be afraid of the questions. There's always been questions. God's always had to contend with those questions, but it's a secure community that understands the heart of God, that is able to say with a measure of confidence, the Bible does say. And, and can I just say this, and let me just push back a wee bit on some of the things I hear at times. There's almost almost a, a, a desire to back away from that sort of conversation. Well, mm-hmm. you know, don't say that, the Bible says. Well, why not? Um, Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, So so there's a sense in which we've got to have a confidence say, actually, the Bible does say something into this. The Bible does say something into your sexuality. The Bible does say something into the challenges of our society uh, and into what's going on. And and we need to have that sort of confidence in it that allows the weird, wonderful and outrageous questions to be asked. Because God has never been intimidated by questions. Never, ever, ever. Um, uh, And the church shouldn't be. And the more secure we are, the more we will be able to engage with a mindset in our society that wants to ask honest questions and wants to ask questions genuinely about who is God and what's going on here.
2: Fantastic. So, and, you know, moving on now, kind of like we're coming to a, a, a closing stretch for today's, uh, today's conversation. I'm, I'm sure we'll be looking... Uh, uh, doing some more of these coming up but the, the the work so when it comes to the work that we primarily do people tend to look more at like the, the the science the management of these things but for us the same way that Chris and I say that everything we have to do has to be based out of local church we believe that everything actually has to be based out of a you know we would call it a theory of in most other places but in in, in spiritual context a theology of yeah. how, how do you think this speaks to um, a theology of change or a theology of strategy when it comes to doing church uh,
1: yeah i mean i I would say that uh, again, if we have the confidence to recognize that um things are interconnected and not not sitting in vacuum so we uh, one of the one of the great challenges we often think of theology somehow that sits over here, but mm. strategy and organization sits over there, and um again. I, I think, uh, without being overly simplistic, I think that's a very um, westernized view of how we see life. We see life in bits and departments and compartmentalization. Whereas, in a in a in a Bible worldview, I'll use that language. I think the the theology and the spirituality is holistic. That actually, with God in the center, that can not only speak into how I run my church, that can speak into how I run my business that can speak into my value system, that can speak into how I uh, look after my employees, that can, that can speak into how I treat my business uh, opponents as well as my business partners. And if you look at the New Testament, Paul uh, often is speaking into radical cultural contexts and bringing mm-hmm. theological shapers to the application of those ideas. So husbands and wives, fathers and children, slaves, and masters. He speaks into these ideas, uh, helping to bring a theological principle guidance to how do we do church when we've got a slave owner with his slave in the church? How, how, are, we doing, how are we going to do that? And Paul helps with these ideas. He, he speaks into them, and gives practicality. And so what you've got often in the in letters of Paul, and remember, Paul was a superb Jewish theologian. So what you've got often is a theological starter with a practical application. If you look at the pattern of all of Paul's letters, big theological driving engine room to the letter, and then a massive practical application at the end. Hmm. Ephesians, first three chapters, theology, uh, second three chapters, massive practicality. Romans chapter 11, world-class theology. Chapters 12 to 16, boom, he just lands this thing, right? If you believe that, here's what it looks like. And on we go. Live a life worthy of this gospel. So Paul um, is trying to give a theological driver and framework, but all the time trying to applicate that somewhere. And I think That that idea is not just for a church, I think that idea is for business, I think that idea is for family, I think that idea is for sport, I think that idea is for any world where the Christian finds themselves in a place of influence. Imagine if Christians brought theology, then practicality to the arts, to politics, to business, to finance, to church if we have the confidence that this is not just you know the domain of some theologian sitting in a bible college but theology is the domain of all serious followers of jesus then we can bring theological application practically into every single area of our life there is not an area of our world that cannot be touched by clear theological understanding of who God is, what he thinks about community and what he thinks about the world and how we should treat each other in the context of that. And Torah itself is one of the greatest social justice documents the world has ever seen. And, and, and we need to have the confidence to celebrate that and actually applicate that um, both into our church world and into our business world.
0: Well, a massive thank you to Dr. John Andrews for joining us for this week's podcast. And thank you to you, listener, for joining us as well. Just a reminder that if you want to book in for some on-site or online facilitation with us, then you can pre-book for 2021 and we'll give you 20% off that. Just go to our website, www.thinking.church. Go to our booking page, just click the Buy Now button and you can use the offer code PREBOOK2021 right there. Uh, We will see you next next week for another podcast take care